0: Attention, Patriots. This is the Chris Hall Show.
1: Who's going to stand up? Where are the lovers of liberty? I think that's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's unpopular. It's out of control. You think this is over? This isn't over. Bye and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome to the show, not my husband, but my son, Colton, who is going to be my co-host for a short portion of the show today. Hey, you know, Colton, you're on the air. Wouldn't it be cool to give a a hello to Mr. Victor? Hi. (laughs) Mr. Victor uh, took us out to dinner the other night. That was a really good time, wasn't it? It was amazing. It was amazing. (laughs) So tell him thank you on the air. He's listening. Mr. Victor always listens to the show. Always? Always. (laughs) Thank
0: you. It was really good.
1: What was your favorite part about the dinner? Chocolate mousse. The chocolate mousse. <laughs> I figured you would like that. Well, Colton is my co-host with me today, uh, because I want to talk to you. We're gonna be we're gonna be dealing with gun issues. Surprisingly, uh, I know you're all shocked and amazed about that. We're gonna be dealing with gun issues today, and there's the first story that I want to lead off with has to do with a high school boy in Loveland, Colorado. So, a public school district in Loveland, Colorado. Suspends a uh, 16-year-old high school junior for posting on um, what was it Snapchat? Mm-hmm. Do those tell me about Snapchat? Do those pictures stay up for a long time? How does uh, snap? I don't know anything about Snapchat. Colton, tell me about how Snapchat works.
0: I believe until the end of the day, till the 12 a.m.
1: Okay, so they don't stay up like Facebook and Twitter then. No, I don't think so. And can anybody, like Facebook and Twitter, if I have my public setting out there, can anybody see your Snapchat, or do you actually have to be a specific friend with somebody to see a Snapchat?
0: I believe if they, all they have to do is search up your name, and then they can see your Snapchat.
1: Oh, sort of like Instagram, then. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's not like a public setting, they can just go ahead and look at your stuff, then. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. All right, well, see, I don't know anything about that. That's why we have Colton. He's our resident teen tech expert. Don't quote me on that. (laughs) Don't quote me on that. He's also the son of a lawyer. So he says, don't quote me on that. All right, so 16-year-old Loveland High School Jr. was told not to come back to class until the school can conduct a full investigation into an anonymous tip. Apparently, they have a program there called, quote, safe to tell. So somebody in this safe to tell program can do give an anonymous tip to the school or to law enforcement of a threatening Snapchat by the student. So what was so threatening? So Nathan Myers and his mother, Justin Myers, uh, said That there was a Snapchat chat video. Oh, you can do videos too. Oh, cool. All right. So there's a Snapchat video of several handguns that were taken while they were preparing to spend the afternoon at a shooting range. And the caption on it said by Nathan, Finna be lit. And that was Nathan's simple way of saying, I translate that. What does finna be lit mean in teenage uh, vernacular?
0: I, how do I describe it? It's basically, to say, it's about to be really cool.
1: This is going to be really cool? Exciting? Like in, in in simple ways, yes. In simple ways? Is it more than, it, more, it's more than cool though, right? It's yeah. like super cool. Mm-hmm. So he was simply sharing with the people on Snapchat that he was about to go to the range and he was really excited about that. Now, you just went to the range. You just spent two days on the range. I got pictures, actually. You want everybody want to see Colton on the range? Let me pull these pictures up here. Uh, Let's see. Colton at the range if you're watching us on YouTube here is Colton at the range You can see him on the right hand on the left hand side there um, I suppose if you're looking at it. It's the left hand side. You see him shooting a Kimber 911. Do you like that gun?
0: It's probably my favorite.
1: It's your favorite. Does it what it's a 9 millimeter, right? Yes So why is it your favorite?
0: It's accurate
1: very simple and Smooth like butter. smooth. Smooth Smooth like smooth like butter. And then you see in the middle, Colt one of Colton's targets, we shot lots of targets last weekend, right? And uh so you can see my Colton's got mad skills. He's a great shooter. And then you can also see the other picture. Um Colton is lying on his back shooting at targets between his legs. Was that scary? No. No? Hmm. You didn't think you were gonna shoot yourself? <laughs> Who's your teacher there?
0: The bearded black cowboy.
1: Oh yeah? Do you know his real name? hmm What's his real name?
0: I know his first name. Yeah. Larry.
1: Larry. What kind of a teacher is he?
0: A really good one.
1: Yeah. Uh he trains
0: uh he teaches jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Um hand to hand combat. Uh obviously uh trains with guns and He's like John Wick.
1: <laughs> Colton says he's the black John Wick. <laughs> he is pretty B.A.D. bad. And so uh, there you go. Does that mean now that Colton needs, Colton and I need to be investigated because I've now just posted on YouTube pictures of Colton shooting Actually, I mean, these pictures that Nathan and his mom posted on Snapchat were not, they were guns in a case. They weren't even holding the guns. They weren't even shooting the guns. And one of his peers, I guess somebody looked him up on Snapchat, filed this complaint. And then the school district um, called the police. The police went to Nathan's father's house. Nathan's mom and dad are separated and his dad didn't go with them. And then police went to his father and say, what are Nathan's intentions with these guns? And Nathan's dad's like, uh, he's off shooting with his mom, and she's an avid shooter, and they're trying to be safe about it. I mean, as a teenager, would you rather have somebody show you how to shoot guns or wait for you to learn on yourself on your own? Someone show me. How long have you been shooting, Colton?
0: Shooting uh started with a BB gun when I was f- 3, 4. <laughs>
1: And when did you, we, but we've always been, we've always had you familiar with our mm-hmm. handguns, but you actually spent time by yourself learning from Larry. You think you're a pretty good shot? Yes. Do you like shooting? Yes. Does it freak you out to see people with guns? No. How about your friends? Do your friends know that you shoot? Yes. Does it freak them out? No. What do your your peers say about pictures of you shooting guns?
0: They think it's cool. Yeah? I think it's amazing.
1: So the Complete Colorado sent uh, Weld County Sheriff Steve Reams the Snapchat with no uh, context to what was happening and asked him how he would interpret the post, and he said it appeared to him that someone got a new gun and was excited to go shoot it. I mean, that's, I guess he interpreted that. Maybe he has teens in the house, so he knows f- what "Finnaby lit sounds like. But when, when uh, Complete Colorado told Sheriff Reams what the school did, he said, uh, people base their apprehension on their own paradigm and their own fear of guns and culture. One kid is totally excited to go out and train on how to use guns responsibly while another kid is really freaked out about seeing guns. Now, I want to know I want to know something from you, Colton. Because here's what happened. And this is, this is a very important question. And this is something that that Sheriff Reems, if you're watching us on YouTube right now, I actually have Sheriff Reems' picture up there of Weld County, Colorado. Uh, this guy seems to be pretty, pretty educated on the right to keep and bear arms. He is clearly against red flag laws. And Colton, Nathan is your average 16 year old student who is, uh, you know, peer pressure kind of things and high school things. And now his school has suspended him for four days. He now has to go to a hearing where he has to prove himself to be innocent so that he can go back to school and get his education. Uh, And I just, I kind of want to get your perspective. Now you're, you're homeschooled, so maybe you're not really familiar enough with all of that culture. But think about that. I want you to sort of put yourself in his perspective. Do you think that he might be uh, intimidated in the future to say anything about his guns or to put guns on YouTube or or pictures of himself on Snapchat?
0: He shouldn't be, but, well, actually, no. He might be because this is pretty stupid, what they're doing. Yes. He has nothing... To prove that he's innocent, what is he supposed to be innocent of?
1: Right, there's no crime, right? So they've they've they're acting like he's guilty of a crime, which is something that Sheriff Reem says that he's committed no crime, and they're actually suspending suspending him from school for nothing at all. Do you think that that might make him think twice about posting things on social media or talking about his guns at school? Probably. You know what we call that in First Amendment law? We call that the chilling effect when you actually are intimidated to talk about things that you actually have a right to talk about because you're afraid of the, you know, the, the retribution about the school coming back to him. What do you think about what the school is doing to him?
0: I think they should actually do their homework. They should actually look into it themselves, not called cops.
1: Well, that's a very good point. Before they suspend him, they should have done the investigation, right? Mm-hmm. Not let's, we're gonna suspend you and then you have to prove yourself to be innocent. Instead, we're gonna do what we are supposed to do as adults and then we will determine whether there's a problem or not. These knee-jerk reactions, these, these guilty until proven innocence is exactly how red flag laws are supposed to work.
0: Liberty's lobbyist, Chris Ann Hall, has now taken control.
1: Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. I have with me Colton. My son, as our co-host today, because we're talking about this high school junior, his name is Nathan Myers, and his school district is suspending him, or has suspended him, rather, pending a hearing because he posted on his Snapchat account pictures of guns that he and his mother were about to take to the range. And we know from the, the story that while they were at the range, one of Nathan's friends called in this line. Can I just want to... This is something somebody called in. Nobody had to know who it was. It was an anonymous person. Somebody just called up and said, Nathan posted pictures of guns and I'm scared of him. And then all of a sudden, the police come out to Nathan's dad's house. Nathan is suspended from school, pending an investigation. Could you... What do you think would keep somebody who maybe didn't like Nathan from just simply calling that in? Somebody, you know, maybe Nathan's got somebody at school that doesn't like him. Maybe they're jealous of him or they got a grudge against him. Couldn't they just simply make some anonymous call and have all this happen to him? They can. They can. So, I mean, who's to know if nobody knows who made this complaint, right? If nobody knows who made the complaint, how do they know that they made that complaint honestly? they can't so somebody who hates nathan some hater calls in and now all of a sudden it's like swatting him right mm-hmm. he's he has been swatted to you know to a lesser degree and now he has to wait for a hearing uh, nathan has an, a hearing at 10 a.m on thursday with the school district and here's what sheriff reams says this is exactly the mechanics of the red flag law. Someone filed an anonymous complaint without the other person knowing it was being filed. But if instead of him being deprived of his Second Amendment rights, he's being deprived of his ability to go to school without due process. Do you know what could have happened if, a, if, if they had this red flag law? Somebody, If they had made a complaint about Nathan? They could have gone to Nathan's house and taken his parents' guns for something they were afraid that Nathan would do based on somebody's anonymous complaint. Because somebody was freaked out by a picture of a gun. Now Nathan is suspended from school for three days and it's quite possible that uh, Nathan's mother's guns could have been taken in all of this as well. And then Nathan's mom would have to go to court to prove that she's a good mom, that she's not putting her son in danger, and that she deserves to have her guns back. Does that sound fair to you? I mean, as a a teenager, does that even sound fair? No. Not at all. Well, that's what due process is supposed to be about. And that's what's wrong with these red flag laws. And you don't have to tell me that this is what's going to happen. This is I, this is reason uh, 465,000 why Colton does not go to public school. And if I were Nathan's mom and dad, I would pull him out of public school right now. He would go to some private school, or we'd find somebody to tutor him, or he'd be homeschooled. And so I'm um, going to let Colton go now, because we're about to talk about the Supreme Court, and he doesn't need to be around to talk about that. But do you want to say anything before you go?
0: Uh no, but thank you for having
1: me. wasn't this fun. This is Colton's first time on the well, second time on the show, but it was like six years ago that you were on the show and it was just a few few minutes. But thank you, Colton. If you give me your microphone, just squeeze that there and hand it to me and we oh, will um say goodbye. Just pull. It's all right. Squeeze no, my it. My hands are slippery. <laughs> okay, give me here. Your... All right. Thank you, Colton. Thank you for coming on the show with me today. Everybody say bye to Colton. So I want to talk to you now about this crazy mess going on with the Supreme Court. I don't know if you've heard about this or not, but there are a handful of senators led by Senator Sheldon Whitehouse who filed a brief, uh, an amicus brief, which is just simply what we call a, a the friend of the court. It's this is what we think about this case. We want to give you some legal standing. It's usually what lawyers do when they uh, party in on the case. You know, sometimes the ACLU will do that with people. It's for lawyers who are not a party to the case, but want to add legal explanation to the case. Only this time, it's not an outside lawyer or a, a civil rights firm or, or a pack group or something that's filing this these are US senators filing their opinion in the Supreme Court and when we get back I'm going to talk about why that's a problem
0: As can't
1: learn the easy way, you'll learn the hard way. Chris Ann Hall, she's Liberty's lobbyist. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K R I S A N N E H A L L.com. Liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. So what we have are Democrat senators filing a friend of the court brief, also known as an amicus brief, in the case that we talked about a week or so ago, uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association Inc. versus the City of New York, and the law that says that New the City of New York says. That you cannot carry your handgun outside of your house. You cannot, your handgun cannot go with you anywhere outside your house. And so if you go to work, you can't take your handgun with you to work. If you need to protect yourself, uh, it's, it's just a completely uh, ridiculous infringement on a right to keep and bear arms. And these senators, Sheldon Whitehouse, Maisie Hirano Richard Blumenthal, Richard uh, Dick Durbin, uh, Kirsten Gildebrand, all filed this amicus brief. And in this, is not your typical... Uh, this is the case law in this, this is how uh, you handled previous cases, this is the precedent, and these are the facts, and this is how the precedent works, and this is why you should come to this decision. That's not this kind of amicus brief. What this literally is, these senators have written a Guido letter. Sorry, I don't mean to insult anybody whose name is Guido, but you know what I mean. I got a guy right? They've sent out a hitman letter in the form of an amicus brief to the Supreme Court. They said the judiciary was not intended to settle hypothetical disagreements. The framers designed Article Three courts to adjudicate actual controversies brought by plaintiffs who suffer real-world harm. So they, they are telling us that what they believe is that the Supreme Court is engaging in political uh, judiciary, right? Political judiciary. And they say that um, because this case is a matter of guns, and because Donald Trump has stacked the court with Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, that this is now a political case that Donald Trump specifically, intentionally made sure that Kavanaugh and, uh, and Gorsuch were on the case for cases just like this. Now let me remind you of something very clear. The President of the United States does not appoint Supreme Court justices. The President of the United States merely nominates all appointments of the Supreme Court justices come by the Senate go read article 2 so this idea that they put forward that the that that Donald Trump has stacked this court is absolutely ridiculous but what I want to show you is in there oh, this sorry this is just so annoying to me it, <laughs> it almost feels blasphemous. In their argument, they actually quote the founding documents, the Federalist Papers. They quote a letter uh, uh, from uh, the Supreme Court Justice to George Washington. And I want to talk about that specifically because here's the thing number one, people ask me, Are we having An impact? Are we affecting politics? Are we making cultural changes? And I mean by me, we, I mean by those of us who are out there, like the 10th Amendment Center and the people that are, are talking continually about the Founding Fathers, directing people to the Constitution, to these foundational documents, to the importance of these foundational documents. And people ask me, are we making an impact? This is proof that we are changing the way the culture thinks. These Democrats who think that the Constitution was written by a bunch of rich, elite, white, slave-owning, misogynist men are quoting George Washington, somebody they hate as a slave owner. They're quoting Alexander Hamilton. Don't tell me we're not making a difference. These people are being forced to quote the very people they hate as an authority in their decision making. As an authority to control the Supreme Court of the United States. These Democrat senators are actually telling the Supreme Court justices you have to look to the Federalist Papers as an authority in your opinions. You have to look at the letters that the founders wrote to each other as an authority and authority on how to apply the Constitution. Now, of course, they get it all wrong. Right. Because they don't understand the documents they're reading and the people that they've employed to write this thing don't understand the documents they're reading. They just pick them up and read them. They don't understand the background behind them, the history that's in them. They don't understand what they're saying. You could probably use the word hermeneutics to them and they would say, God bless you and hand you it. a a tissue okay but we have to employ specific learning tools when reading these documents because guess what you weren't there when they were written you didn't live in that history when you were written you weren't part of that conversation so there's details you're missing that they took for granted that each other knew that's called hermeneutics And so here's what I want to show to you. If they're going to talk about the Federalist Paper 78, if they're going to talk about the conversations of the founders when they created the judiciary, then they've got to be willing. And they just... Hey, in the court, we call that you've opened the door. They have opened the door for the entire Federalist Papers. They have opened the door for all the discussions on the judiciary. And since they've opened the door, they have to answer and entertain the whole truth. If I were in a courtroom right now and these kind of things were brought up, I'd say, you know what, Your Honor, um, the defense has actually opened the door to this document. I will concede that the seven, that uh, Federalist number 78 is a controlling document in this. I'll I'll concede that the conversations that they had when they were creating the judiciary are a controlling uh, narrative in understanding the role of the judiciary and and its obligation to the Constitution. I will concede to that. But we have to understand, Your Honors, that if we're going to talk about pieces, we've got to see the whole picture. So the Democrats say this. They said the judiciary was not intended to settle hypo- uh, hypothetical disagreements. The fa- framers designed Article 3 courts to adjudicate actual controversies brought by plaintiffs who suffer real-world harm. This reflects the framers' intent. Look at that. They are telling the judiciary that the framers' intent is a controlling factor in their decisions. <sighs> Don't tell me we're not having an impact. The world should be turning upside down. Hell should be freezing over right now with Democrats talking about original intent. I deserve apologies right now from the Southern Poverty Law Center. I deserve apologies from these whacked out law professors who, when running around talking about Chris Ann doesn't know what she's talking about, she's turned aside 187 years of jurisprudence and the founding fathers' documents, they're not relative. And you hear all this stuff. They act irrelevant, rather, and they always are are beating me up over this and trying to impugn my credibility because I preach that the founder's intent is controlling. And now we have the Democrats saying that. Thank you very much for your apology. I don't I don't actually expect to hear it because these people aren't big enough to actually apologize and number 2, they're not actually genuine in their assertion. They're actually very disingenuous. Otherwise, they would actually bring up and be willing to entertain the entire argument. The Federalist, he says, um, this reflects the framers' intent that the judiciary, quote, may truly be said to have neither force nor will, but merely judgment. Now, that's Alexander Hamilton in Federal 78. They say the judiciary was not intended to settle hypothetical disagreements. Rather, the framers designed Article 3 courts to adjudicate actual cases of controversy brought by the plaintiffs who suffer real-world harm. As the first chief justice recognized, this limitation was inherent in the Constitution's separation of power. Now, this is a letter to George Washington. The, the, it says, quote, The lines of separation drawn by the Constitution between the three departments of government, there being in certain respects checks on each other, And our being judges of a court in the last resort are the consideration which afford strong arguments against propriety of our extrajudicially deciding the question alluded to by George Washington. Before ratification, they said, Hamilton and the Federalists relied on these constraints to alleviate anti-Federalist fears of an all-powerful judiciary. Limiting the judiciary to real cases that arose properly through litigation was one means to ensure that the, quote, general liberty of the people can never be endangered. Federal 78. All right? So here you go. You want to talk about Federalist 78? Let's go ahead and talk about Federalist 78. The general liberty of the people can never be endangered from that quarter of the judiciary. I mean, so long as the judiciary remains truly distinct from both the legislature and the executive. Notice how they picked that quote out and made it sound like something that it wasn't. Hamilton was saying that the judiciary cannot infringe upon the liberty of the people as long as the judiciary is not entangled with the legislature and the executive. But here we have the Senate entangling itself, threatening the Supreme Court with restructuring if they do not dismiss this case according to their amicus brief. That's what these senators are doing, sending out their hitman letter saying, you have to listen to us if you do not dismiss this case regarding the guns in New York City. We threaten to restructure the courts. Now, when we come back, we're going to get into more into this um, issue with the Federalist 78.
0: The Chris Head Hall Show.
1: Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Hey, if you really want to have a good grasp on this judiciary thing, you need to go to libertyfirstuniversity.com and take the judiciary class. This is very, very important because we've been teaching error about the judiciary for 186 years now. So Hamilton in Federalist 78 is warning against the combination of powers with the judiciary and the legislative or the legislative and the executive. And what we actually have now is the Senate trying to push their influence on the judiciary and then the senators quoting Hamilton justifying their actions. When in reality, Hamilton would say to the judiciary, hey, look, those senators are threatening you. Because you have a responsibility, a liberty of the people, you have to dismiss their threats. You cannot be actually threatened by them. Federalist 78, the courts of justice are to be considered as the bulwarks of a limited constitution against legislative encroachments. Now, he's talking about legislative encroachments on the Constitution, meaning, hey, the legislators cannot invent their own powers. They can't go beyond the enumeration of powers and just create legislative acts. The judiciary has to come and say, bam, you have no authority on that. It's not an enumerated power. But think about that. If they're there to, to protect against legislative encroachments, that's exactly what the senators are trying to do right now. They're trying to encroach upon the powers of the judiciary by threatening them. Hamilton says in Federalist 78, For I agree that there is no liberty if the power of judging be not, uh, be not separated from the legislative and executive powers. There you go. You got the Senate trying to force the judiciary. Now, they talked about the formation of the judiciary, the founders' intent. They talked about the anti-federalist concerns and the federalist concerns. So let's talk about this, too. They've opened the door. George Mason says the judiciary of the United States is so constructed and extended as to absorb and destroy the judiciaries of the several states. James Iredell says, how is that the case? Are not the state judiciaries left uncontrolled as to the affairs of the state only? You see, if we're going to talk about the intent of the founders on the judiciary, then the the senators, these honorable Democrat senators, must admit that the intent of the founders is that the Supreme Court has no jurisdiction on internal matters of the state. On issues between citizens of the same state, between citizens and their own state, the federal judiciary, the Article Three courts, have no jurisdiction. Even Hamilton says this in Federalist 83. He says the foundation of this assertion is that the national judiciary will have no cognizance of these internal state matters, and of course they will remain determined as heretofore by state courts only. Want to talk about a letter to George Washington? Here's a letter to George Washington from James Madison. The great mass of suits in every state is to be between citizen and citizen and relate to matters not of federal cognizance. You see, if we're going to talk about this thing, then let's really get into the limited nature of the judiciary. The Supreme Court of the United States has no judicial authority on on legal matters of internal A within the state, citizens and citizens of the same state, citizens and their own states, businesses within the states, they do not have jurisdiction. So the whole argument that these senators are making is that we've created a politicized judiciary. We have now a politicized judiciary. This is part of their threat. We will restructure the court, they say, because, are you ready for this? Because, oops, sorry, because 51% of the people believe that the court is acting politically. Some poll they put up. So because the court is acting politically, and if they do not adopt the Senate's understanding and dismiss this case, then they're threatening to restructure. And now we have the Republicans, 53 Republicans, every member of the Republican caucus, sent a letter to the Clerk of the Supreme Court assuring the justices that they will not allow the Democrats to restructure the judiciary, that they just need to do their job. Man, I will not tell you what, right now, the Anti-Federalists are just scratching their heads saying, we told you so, and the Federalists are looking at the American people going, what in the world are you doing with the protections that we gave you? Well, we'll have to talk about this again next time God bless you guys. See you again later.